0: Wonderful partner, I want to show you something beautiful today. I just finished teaching Romans 8 for BHI, to the BHI students. And I got so blessed teaching Romans 8 that I want to share it with you today. I really do. It's the beautiful word of God that changes lives. So let's go now and be a part of the BHI class. And I know you're gonna really love this. And then we're gonna come back and I'm gonna pray for you today. Watch this. All right, so now we are in Romans 8, as you all recall. And we're gonna start with just uh, going through again in this chapter, we're, we're given some amazing assurances. Number one, the assurance of the righteousness of God. Number two, the assurance of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, These are listed and we'll go through them in this amazing life-changing chapter. Number three, the assurance of life, sorry, the assurance of eternal heirship or inheritance. We are heirs of God, the Bible says. And then the assurance of eternal intercession and then the assurance of eternal the eternal purpose of God the sh- the assurance of the eternal presence of God and finally the assurance of the eternal glorification of the saints so i'll go through them one more time these are all listed in Romans 8 number 1 the assurance of the righteousness of God 2 the assurance of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Three, the assurance of eternal heirship or inheritance. Four, the assurance of eternal intercession. Five, the assurance of eternal the eternal purpose of God. Six, the assurance of the eternal presence of God. And seven, the glorification of the saints. So let's begin with this beautiful, Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Oh, there is so much to talk about this. So the word condemnation, and here we, we begin with the first one, the assurance of righteousness. He begins with, there is therefore now no condemnation That's the first one we mentioned earlier. The word condemnation (coughs) means more than just the opposite of justification. It means that we are not servants to the penalty of our sin, but that quite uh, the penalty and the guilt of sin has been removed completely at the cross. So there's therefore now no condemnation. Now remember, what have we been looking at in this amazing book? We've been looking at uh, Paul talking about that we are justified in chapter 3, 4, and 5 sanctified in chapter six and seven. And now he's gonna explain to us something really powerful. That because we are justified, therefore, there is no condemnation. That's how he begins the chapter. And remember now, in when the Bible was written, there were no chapters and verses. So, therefore, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So, like I said, the word condemnation in the, in the Greek, which is katakrima, katak katak what a quite a difficult word to say, but what it means. It's it's more than just justification here. This this word means that the very penalty of sin, the very guilt of sin, has been removed at the cross forever, forever gone. And and I love it that he says, in Christ Jesus, The minute he says in Christ Jesus, it means we don't live under the threat of punishment for the penalty of sin. Because he just told us we are justified in chapter 3, 4, and 5. We're justified. And you all remember what I've been saying over and over and over about justification and sanctification. Justification is a declaration that we have become righteous. Sanctification is growing into that righteousness. Justification deals with the penalty of sin Sanctification deals with the power of sin. So we are justified. We, we saw that in chapter five. Therefore being justified, we have peace with God. So he dealt with that. But now he, 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 he adds to it this beautiful beginning here in chapter eight. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because we are justified, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ, who are not living under the threat of punishment. So the privilege of justification is no condemnation. The result of justification means no condemnation. But now let's look at something else. The privilege of sanctification is that we are now walking after the Spirit. Notice what he said. This is very beautiful in in this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to, to them who are in Christ Jesus. That is the result of justification. Now he says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That is sanctification. Okay, look at me all of you. Look at me all of you. Everybody look. I, I, I want to say something really important. So I'm born again. You are born again. Let me let me let me take Java. I can see Java there, God bless him. Okay? So I'm gonna I'm gonna use him as an example, okay? So, Java, put your mic on, so I can talk to you. Okay. And and all right. And let's let's also have let's also have uh, Keith Keith Butl. Uh, I think is your last name. Yeah. Okay. So. There you go. Okay. So we have we have Maria up there on the screen. Now I have Java next to your picture and I have Keith. Okay. So Java and Keith each of them got saved now. Uh, the reason I chose them is because Java is young and and Keith is a little older. So Keith, you're uh, how old are you, Keith? 72. Oh, 72. That's wonderful. And Java, you're probably what, 17 years old, 18 years old? 16. Oh, 16. That's even better. So, now, Java, you got you got saved. When did you get saved? After I was born in a Christian family, but I got personally um, baptized at the age of 11. 11. Okay, so, at the age of 11, Java was declared righteous by God, and he was justified. Now, now, dear dear Keith, when were you saved? In '84. So, 1984. That was uh, how many years ago now? Goodness, 30 something years. 38. Okay, so 38 years ago, Keith got saved. And God justified him and said, righteous. Okay, now, the the minute God said righteous about you both, he also said, there is therefore now no condemnation. You're already free from the penalty and the guilt. So there's no condemnation. You cannot be condemned for past sins and then it says in Christ Jesus so now there's no threat anymore of being punished because Jesus took your punishment now let's let's go through that beautiful part i just said earlier that the privilege of justification when you were 11 and when keith 38 years ago was justified. The privilege was, okay now, I will not condemn you for past sins. Now you start living Romans 6 and 7. Romans 6 and 7 deals with sanctification. So as you begin to be sanctified, where does that lead you? It leads you into a new walk. A new beginning, a new life. And that life is right here mentioned. Who walk, walk. Remember, you were not walking when you were a sinner. You were lost. You couldn't follow the Lord, anyways. So anyone walking is saved. You see that? We we all began walking with the Lord after salvation. We were not walking prior to that. We were, in fact, bound in chains, in bondage. So now it says, who walk not after the flesh, because that's the old life. And even walking after the flesh was not a real walk. It was bound to satanic powers, is what it means. But now we walk in the Spirit, to walk after the Spirit. And walking after the Spirit is the result of what? Sanctification. It's the growing into. Remember I said how sanctification is growing into righteousness, growing up, moving up, moving ahead. So, my daughter Jessica, I would like to go back to that example. She was born... Back in the 80s, early 80s, we declared her our child. After we declared her as our child, at about the age of two years old, somewhere there, she took her first step. It was an exciting day for all of us. She began walking towards mommy and daddy. Yay, we're happy. So think about in the Christian life. We were not walking prior to... Living for the Lord, we were basically living in a in a in a place of bondage, death, and so on. But now something happened. We were born again, and we began to take little steps into what into righteousness. Little steps, like just like a little child did, like my Jesse and your children did as they were beginning to grow up. So that's what walking in the Spirit is all about. We're growing into righteousness. We're growing into Jesus. We're growing into his knowledge. We are now literally walking after the spirit. And now he says something wonderful in verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So the law which now I'm under the new law I'm under of the spirit of life made me free from that old law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit of life, that's the Holy Spirit, he's the spirit of life, is the law of grace. The law of grace, which is the foundation upon which the Holy Spirit works. So now, as I began living and walking, and I'm going slow here because I wanted to really get this. As I began living and walking after the Spirit, I began finding out the graciousness of the Lord, his love. Goodness, mercy, so much more. Prior to that, prior to me knowing him, I was afraid of him, I did not know him. So I was, I was living in fear. I was not saved, I was living in bondage, I wasn't saved. I thought God was a mean God who would punish me for any wrong thing I did. I was under the law. See, when when someone is not saved, they are really under the law, even maybe not exactly the law of the old covenant. It's a law that they may make for themselves or a law that they come under through a denomination they're under let me just say something just it's really important. Um, the law, when we think, when, when we say the law, when we say the law, we mean Old Testament law. But the Bible doesn't just limit it to the Old Testament law when it says the law. The law also could mean legalistic law. That churches come up with. Remember, remember the the Galatians, the church in Galatia was free from the law of the Old Testament, but they made up their own law. They became the the Judaizers came and put new laws in there. You, you have to be circumcised, you have to live this way, you have to live that way, and they came under a whole different law. It was still the law. Maybe they weren't obeying every law of Moses. So sometimes when, when the Bible says the law, it doesn't just mean the law of Moses. It means the law period. We're not under any law. So, so when I was young, when you were young, uh, I went to a Catholic uh, uh, church. I have news for you, they had a lot of laws, a lot of laws. And the laws of the Catholic Church were more severe than the, than the Mosaic laws in some cases, because they said, now, uh, you, you had to, to celebrate certain feasts that the Pope came up with, whether you like it or not. On Friday, you could not eat meat. On Wednesday, you had to do this. Every morning, you had to do that. You had to pray certain prayers, uh, kneeling on Jerusalem rock, because they established a law. Nothing to do with the Old Testament. It was bondage, pure bondage. And people, in general, people are more comfortable with law than grace. Everyone wants to obey something or someone. They feel good about it. You have to hear me out. So we know we are free from the law of Moses, but man wants to, do, to create new laws so people can obey them and obey rules and obey religious laws and they become legalistic. I mean, goodness gracious, the Greek Orthodox Church, when I left, when I got saved and left the Greek Orthodox Church, I was told very plainly, I'm going to hell now because I left the Greek Orthodox Church. That the law, their law is, you have to be Greek Orthodox to make heaven. They, they never talked talk about the Lord. It was about what the patriarch or the church established that you had to live by or otherwise, you're on your way to hell, plain and simple. There was many laws in Israel, religious laws I'm talking about. And to this day, the rabbis have come up with their own laws about all kinds of things. It's pure bondage, pure bondage. That's not even in the Bible. Laws so so strict where you walk into an elevator and you're not allowed to touch the button on the Sabbath or drive your car or cook a meal. That's That's not even in the Bible at all. So they created their own laws and that's what the Lord said to them. So, You've got to understand what Paul is meaning here when he talks about the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is way more than just the, 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 the law of the Old Testament because, frankly, the law of the Old Testament was not a law of death. It was a law of life. If you obeyed it, you lived. If you disobeyed it, you died. God said to Moses, he said, tell Israel to choose life. I want them to have life, not death. It, the law of Moses showed you how to be righteous, not sinner, it, it exposed sin, yeah, but it wasn't about uh, getting into sin, it was trying to get you out of it. But the bondage of law, period, law, every law that people come up with is is to bring you under their control, whatever law it is. So the law of the spirit of life, verse two, in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit is the law of grace. The minute I, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with God, I discover he's nothing like I thought he was. He's not the God of rules and regulations, and if you break this, you, you're dead. The law of grace is when Jesus spoke to the woman who was caught in the very act, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Because they wanted him to say, she, she has to be killed. She broke the law. She's got to be killed. What did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn thee. Go sin no more. That's the law of grace. She, fu- she met, and and you see, when you come face to face with grace, it'll change your life. You'll you'll fall in love with Jesus. You'll follow him with all your heart. You would not want to hurt him anymore. And holy. We don't live holy by trying to obey the law. We live holy by by loving Jesus enough that we will not hurt him. We love him so much, we we do not want to disobey him. We love him so much, we do not want to grieve him. I loved my mom and dad. Oh, I loved my mom and and my dad. And I knew that if I did a certain thing, I would hurt my parents. And therefore, I did not do it because I love them. I did not want to break their heart. My, my, my daddy, I told you many times, disciplined us, uh, quite, uh, quite uh, rough, I mean rough. But we adored him. Why? Because he was a good daddy. He was a wonderful daddy. We revered him. We feared him. And and, uh, the Bible says, fear the Lord, all ye saints. You fear the Lord means you revere the Lord. You you look at him in, in, in awe. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Not to be afraid of him. To be in awe of him. Oh, fear the Lord, all his saints, there's no one to them who fear him. The second you revere the Lord, he'll bless you. But honor and love are are one, really. When you love someone, you will revere them. When you revere someone, you will love them. And as a result, you'll say, I am not going to hurt that person, I love and honor. And that is the law of the Spirit because he introduces us to grace. We begin to see the grace of of the Lord, which is really the foundation, the foundation upon which the Holy Spirit works. So life in the Spirit really enables us to live free from the law of death, from the law and its dominion. So it says, for what the law, verse three, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. And now he's talking about the law of Moses. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So... For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. So the law of Moses, what he means is that the law of of Moses could not justify us or sanctify us because it was weak through the flesh. He's been talking about two things from chapter 3 on. Justification, sanctification. So what, what, what he's saying is that the law could not justify us. It condemned us. The law could not sanctify us. It condemned us. So the law of Moses could not justify us or sanctify us because it was weak. Weak through the flesh means I could not obey it. I tried and I failed. So God says, thou shalt not lie or thou shalt not commit adultery and I could not help myself but I did both. Because I'm weak. I could not do it. Thou shall not covet. Everything in my heart wanted to obey it, but I failed. Before I came to the Lord, you see. Now, once I am in Jesus, he begins to liberate me from all that. And now, the law becomes fulfilled in me as I slowly walk with the Lord. And the dominion of sin is no longer running my life. And so he said, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That is incredible. So the law is good. The law is holy. The flesh is weak, unable to keep it. So God now sends his own son in the likeness of sinful man or sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Wow. So what the law could not do, Jesus did. Wow. So when when it says condemned sin in the flesh, it means in his flesh. This is so powerful in verse three. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, means my flesh, weak through my flesh. I couldn't do it, I tried. God sends his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of our body, sinful flesh, and now he condemns sin in his own body in his own flesh so my flesh tried and failed in his flesh he won the victory and condemned sin in the flesh you see how beautiful that is so so what paul says what paul says is what the law could not do jesus did Because Jesus knew no sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he knew no sin. But what? He was made sin, or a sin offering. He was made sin, or a sin offering. That's what is meant by for sin. In that verse, he said, and for sin. Remember that? In in verse 3, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, meaning was made in the likeness or was made sin for us. And that in the Greek means on account of sin. Now, I want to say something very important. Very important. That is really simple, and people have made a mess out of it. And we've all said it, but it's not really biblical to say Jesus became sin. No, Jesus did not become sin. For him to become sin, he would cease to be the Son of God. For him to become sin, he would cease to be God himself. He didn't become sin. He was made sin for us. A made sin for us means a sin offering. A sin offering. Not not sin itself. Sin offering. Okay, in the the Old Testament, those, those animals did not become the sin of the individual. They became a sin offering for the individual. They remained to be a lamb. They remained to be an ox. They still stayed what they were, but they became a sin offering. So a lot of us have said, including me when I was young, Jesus became sin, but now I know the Bible way better. So I can say, no, no, that's wrong. Because people, you know, they're not thinking when they say he became sin, they think, but they don't even think at all. They just kind of ignore what what you say or what even they say themselves. They don't fully understand. But biblically speaking, true Bible is, he could not become sin. He's God Almighty. How could he become sin? Okay? So becoming, in the the, the Greek word, to be... Made sin means a sin offering. How many? How many understand that? Lift your hand up, I. So you okay? Great. That's all the Bible means by was made sin for us, a sin offering for us, basically. So now we 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 are. We also read that the law could not be that offering. But Jesus became that sin offering and condemned sin or destroyed sin in his flesh, in his body. That, verse four, the whole result here is, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Ooh, this is awesome in us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us now now listen here we do not fulfill the law but as we walk in the spirit god fulfills the law in us because now as we walk in the spirit we begin to do the things that please him. As we walk in the spirit, okay, I'll, I'll break it down to you. Now, you get born again, but you can't stop lying. Fine. Now you start living the Christian life. You're still a baby. You're taking little steps. And eventually, God, the Holy Spirit, will convict you that that lying is wrong. There was no conviction. By the law, there was fear. And, and you, you could not obey it either. You, you kept lying. Now, you're born again. God gives you his Holy Spirit. And the Holy, and the Holy Spirit says, wrong. Now, you can't quit right away because you're still young in the Lord. And every so often, you'll you'll slip and out of whatever, you'll... You'll not tell the whole truth. But eventually you will say, Oh, look at his grace. That he forgives me again and again and again and cleanses me again and again. Oh, Jesus, I love you so much that I don't want to grieve you anymore. And therefore, I give you that weakness. Take it. And now you you notice as you get older in the Lord, you don't lie anymore. What happened? That's what happened is I'm reading here, verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who are doing what? Walking after the spirit, not after the flesh. Isn't that so beautiful? Simple. So it says, as we begin to walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit fulfills the law in us because the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in the atonement of Jesus and that becomes ours as we are in Jesus. His atoning works, we are in him now, therefore his atoning works covers us. We are in him. Remember I said one day, In the sight of God, his accomplishments become your accomplishments because of his grace. He declares you righteous as he is righteous. For he says, we are the righteousness of God in him, not outside of him. So what happened? Well, we are in him. He covers us. And because he covers us, he literally looks, God Almighty looks at us as though we ourselves have accomplished what Jesus accomplished. That's what in Christ means. It's mind-boggling, to be honest with you. It's like unbelievable that we would share in his accomplishment. What an amazing salvation. What a great salvation. So verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, what did we look at? The assurance of righteousness. Now we go from the assurance of righteousness to the next one. The assurance of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Look Look at the change. In verse 5, But they that are after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So in a beautiful that in verse 1, 2, and 3, and and 4, he's giving us the assurance that we are righteous. That we are in Jesus, and we have the assurance of the the righteousness of God. Now, we have the assurance that the Holy Spirit is in us, because he begins with, in verse 5, for they that are after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh, or set their minds on the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, set their mind on the things of the spirit. And the mind, the word mind here, uh, the Greek word is prones, and the word "phrones" means to have something as the habit of your thought. Something in which you place total interest. So the word mind, the Greek word for it, means to have something as the habit of your thought, like you think about it over and over and over and over. Something in which you place total interest in. That's what the word means here, mind. So he says, for that are after the the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. So those who are still living in the world uh, have a habit of thinking about the world. They have total interest in the world. But they that are after the spirit or who have the mind after the spirit are always in the habit of thinking about the Lord. In the habit of thinking about him all the time and their interest is always the Lord. The Lord, everything is about Jesus. Not about anything else. Because that's the result of life in the spirit. Life in the spirit means that's my interest. That's all I think about day and night. And we've all read and know by heart, most of us, chapter uh, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So if the mind is not Christ-centered, the result is death. So those who walk in the spirit, their mind is Christ-centered. Those who are in the flesh, their mind is world-centered. But if it's centered on Jesus, that's life in the spirit so if the mind is not Christ centered the result is death but when the mind is Christ centered then it's the mind of the spirit and will result in peace and life now now i've got to i have i've, I've got to go back I've got to go back to talk about growing into righteousness. Remember, we've been discussing that over and over and over. Romans 6 and 7, growing into righteousness. Growing into righteousness. We are already growing, going, developing in the knowledge of Jesus. And the more we know him, the less the part of sin controls us. And the more we become like him. It's a process. It's a life. It doesn't happen overnight. And the more I grow, the more I change. And the more I change, the less the part of sin gets hold of me. And now, the habit in my life is no longer thinking about the world. It's thinking about the Lord. The interest in, in my life is no longer the world. It's the Lord. And now the Lord becomes my the center of my thoughts, the center of my interest. And the result of that is life and peace. Wow. Why? I'm growing. Into that righteousness. And notice the first thing Paul talks about in Romans 8 from verse 1 to verse 4 is righteousness. I give you the assurance you are righteous now because there is no 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 condemnation. But now here's the second assurance: the Holy Spirit is in you. Why? Because you can you cannot have your mind centered on the Lord if the Holy Ghost isn't doing it. So there's been a change in you. Without you knowing it, your mind was becoming less centered on the world and more centered on Jesus because the ruach, the ongoing breath of God was filling your life. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Explain it in just a little different way. Uh, When you were born again, the wind of God in your spirit was like when you start blowing into a balloon. And the more you walk with God, more air goes in the balloon. And the more air that goes in the balloon, it pushes things out of you more air in the spirit more air in the balloon so think of your spirit as being that balloon god gives you that balloon and then starts slowly and that word to breathe means ongoing breath okay the breath of of man is if you breathe right right, right now how long will you last a few seconds so your your breath can How how long can you blow into a balloon? (laughs) Not long, huh? But God's breath is eternal. God's breath is ongoing. So when Jesus breathed on you, I have news for you. He's still breathing. And you're still filling up with his wind. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So now... The wind of God is filling you continually, continually. And you, you're becoming more like the Lord. Your life centered on the Lord. Your interest is Jesus. And all that beautiful wind in there of the Holy Ghost is pushing the world right out of you. That's so beautiful. And now what happens what is, as the wind fills you, Ooh! Ooh, there's life in there. There's peace in there. All right. So so let, let's go. Well, let's let's read verse seven. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Nothing it can be. So the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God which is the law of life. Remember that the law of God is grace. It's called the law of, the, of life, the law of grace. That's what he said earlier. To walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit. He's still talking about the law of the spirit. So, verse seven, the carnal mind is an enemy of God, not subject to the law of God, which is the the life of the Holy Spirit. The law of God here is the life of the Holy Spirit in you. I'm saying it really slow so you can all get it. The law of the Spirit is grace. The law of the spirit is his life. You come under a brand new law of liberty, not bondage, not rules and regulations, liberty. It's the law of liberty. Because it is a law, but it's not rules and regulations. It's the law of liberty. Okay. The Constitution of the United States declared it law, that we have liberty as American citizens. It's the law. But we are free. Before they came to to the shores of America, they were under the law of the Queen of England, or the King of England, or the King of some country in Europe, that they had to obey. So people sought liberty. They looked for liberty, and they came to the United States of America, and they passed a law. The Constitution is legal. It's, it's a law, but it's not the law of bondage. It's the law of liberty. Back years ago, when slavery was the law, they passed a new law that said no more slavery. It was the law of liberty. You see the difference, huh? It's still a law, but it's freedom. Freedom. We were slaves to the devil. We were under his law. But Jesus came with a new law of liberty the law of life the law of the spirit of life hath made me free hallelujah from the law of death so now we are living under a new law you do understand right so when you think law don't think regulations and rules and bondage because law can also be completely liberty, liberty. Today in Israel, had I had I lived in Israel, thank God I don't, as much as I loved being born there, it would be against the law, against the law for me to go and talk to a Jewish man about converting him to Christianity. It's against the law for me to go and tell a Jew, leave Judaism and come to Jesus against the law. But there's a law in Israel still that says that any Jew is a citizen of Israel. All they have to do is just show up. They don't even have to apply for it, just show up. It's law. So every Jew, by law, is a citizen of Israel. Yet I, by law, cannot go and talk to that Jew and say, leave Judaism, come to Jesus. Now, I won't have to do that with a Jew because they stay Jews, frankly. But I'm just trying to explain to you what it means when it says, uh-uh, you cannot convert Jews. Well, what they don't understand is you don't really have to convert them. They remain Jews. <laughs> they, they just become believing Jews, believing in the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's it. But the law was passed by the rabbis, by the religious parties, to prevent Jews from becoming Christians. So, in Israel itself, there are laws that bind you and laws that liberate you. (laughs) It's the same thing in the Bible. The laws of the enemy bind you, and the laws of God liberate you. There's the life and and the beautiful peace that the law of the Spirit gives. And what is that law? Grace. Grace. So, we don't think the law is rules and regulations when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So the carnal mind is not subject to that law. Cannot be. Doesn't want to be, frankly. So Paul here is speaking of unbelievers who cannot submit to God, who don't want to submit to God who see no benefit in submitting to God, but we do, and we want to for the rest of our lives and forever. So then, he says, they that are in the flesh cannot please him. So, until faith is in Jesus, until we are completely... Christ-centered and our full interest is the Lord, our faith is in Jesus. Until that faith is is real, a person is not spiritual. So to be spiritual is to be Christ-centered. Habits, thinking about him, interest always in him, Centered on him, that is spirituality. But carnality is when you don't have those interests. You're not centered on the Lord. There's no interest in the Lord. That's carnality. So those in the flesh cannot please the Lord. Those who are not Christ-centered cannot please God. Um, Hebrews 11, 6, for just a moment, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So those who are in the the flesh really are the heathens, the heathens. So now we go back to Romans again, chapter 8. And this is where the chapter now begins to really heat up with amazing truth and revelations. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Remember now, he's still giving us the, the assurance that the Holy Ghost is within us. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, is none of his. So he makes it very clear, again, that those who are in the flesh, uh, the unbelieving, do not have the Spirit of God. Therefore, those who have the Holy Spirit are those who are in the Spirit. because no one can receive the Lord's atonement for salvation unless the Holy Spirit dwells within that individual. Because at salvation, we all receive the Holy Spirit. We all begin to walk in the Spirit. And we're not talking about Pentecostals charismatics who speak in tongues. We're talking about every believer, period. Every believer is living in the spirit, walking in the spirit, even though they don't talk in tongues or even believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They have That has nothing to do with walking in the spirit or living in the spirit or being in Christ Jesus. Being in Christ Jesus means the one who is saved, is in Christ Jesus, declared righteous, growing into righteousness and being sanctified. And yes, walking and living in the spirit and all the benefits of salvation belong to that person, period. So I'm not talking here about charismatic Pentecostal people. I'm talking about God's people, period. That's it. So, once we are in the Spirit, all believers are in the Spirit, like I just told you, the flesh will die. Because he says in verse 10, for if Christ be in you, you're in the Spirit, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Once we are living in the Spirit, the flesh will die. Life to sin will cease. And life unto righteousness not only begins but continues. and I want to make it even simpler than this, it is a process of moving into life and being free from sin all at the same time. Moving into righteousness, being free from sin, is a daily walk. And some move quicker than others, but everyone is moving. Everyone is growing and God is able to bring you in faster than you're able to walk. I will do a quick work, saith the Lord. He's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle, and he that hath begun a good work in you will finish it. So you say, well now, you know, so and so who's younger than me in the Lord, is so much stronger. But that doesn't mean you're not growing. That doesn't mean you're not going to make it. Because he that began a good work in you will finish it on time. On time. Yeah, but what if I, ah, 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 he said he'll finish it. You know, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to tell you something that, that I really believe. You know, um, when I'm at the airport sometimes in Atlanta, and I don't feel like walking, because it may be a long walk between one terminal and another, I would rather walk on those things that are moving, anyways. Whatever you call them. What what do you call them, dear Marie? Huh? In the airport, like in in. No, in in Atlanta, you have these big things that are moving all the time. You just. It's, it's, it's a thing that's moving by itself, and you just walk on it, and you're moving double the speed. Whatever, okay. I think there is a, a heavenly walkway. I think God in his grace says, this guy's walking too slow, I'm gonna put him on, on, the, on the electric one, on the heavenly one, to get him a little speed. Because some of us sometimes are, are too weak and we get all distracted. We get whatever. But he promised we will make it. Even if he has to put us on a heavenly walkway. We're still walking. We're still walking. But the other boy there doesn't need it. He's walking real fast. He's actually going a little faster than we are. And we are on this little thing and we're walking you know a little slower but man we're really we're we're really moving too and eventually we're gonna both make that flight you will make the flight lift your hands and thank him you will make that flight hallelujah because all that matters is you're 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 gonna be at the gate on time and i'm talking about heaven here and the rapture okay you're gonna be there on time no, no, nobody will be late because Jesus will make sure you get it there. You're, you're gonna get there. Didn't you love that? The word of God. I really pray that the Lord will speak to you to join BHI. It's been such a blessing teaching those amazing students. We're over 4,000 students in, in BHI and it's been a delight. And I pray the Lord today will bless you, reward you, honor you, Meet all your needs. Yes, I read your wonderful comments. And we read your prayer requests. God will meet that need in your life. He will hear that cry in your heart. He has promised us. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee. He will answer us. And he will show us great and mighty things, each one of us. And Jesus said, if we will agree, our precious, wonderful Lord Jesus said. If two will agree, I'll do it. So let's just right now pray that every need is met. Father, in Jesus' name, we come into agreement. Every need, Lord, every precious need, which is precious in your sight, will be met. Answer prayer, Lord, for your glory and honor. Amen and amen. Lord, meet also that financial need. Bless them, Lord financially. Sweetest, dearest Jesus, you know every heart. You know, every desire, you know, every need, even financial needs. And Lord, you said, it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together. And running over blessings are promised. So Lord, bless your people now. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful Jesus. Now listen, giving produces receiving. Sowing produces reaping. So right now you can give to the Lord's work. And he will bless you. I am just reminding you how important giving is today in our life, in our walk with God. Because not only will God bless us today, but he'll bless us tomorrow. And bless our families. And keep things away from us, you know. Like trouble financially, I mean, away from us. Now, as you give, give by faith. Just increase your faith. Lift it a little higher. Lift it a little higher. And if you really need a, a financial miracle, sow a seed in faith today. You may even need to increase your level of giving. I've seen that happen in my life. Sometimes when I've had needs in my fi- in in my finances, I just had to increase my my seed because when I did, it really moved my faith. To be honest with you, to believe and to receive. So as, as God speaks to you, just obey Him right now. So you can you can give on the platform your watching me on you can go to our website bhn.org or you can simply text bhm45777 and tomorrow another beautiful program not from bh i like today but i promise you every day i will i will bring you the word of god that will bless your life i'll see you again tomorrow i'll see you again tomorrow